Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 381, The History of the Truth with Will Primos. And I am your co-host, and the guy who is a little manic depressant right now. <laughs> Well, that's quite the lead-in. I'll go. I'll go the opposite spectrum. I'm the guy who is just jacked up after this weekend. But I mean, you're usually a pretty positive guy. What's going on, man? Well, so you know, it's is one of those situations. You come off this high yeah, of weekend. the weekend with the NWTF convention, getting to be around all of these turkey hunters. It's just turkey everything it it is you cannot move and go anywhere inside the opryland hotel without being exposed to turkeys it's hard to even go to a restaurant and eat outside of the opryland just anywhere in nashville and not be exposed to turkeys 
and then you leave there and you come home and you're still on this high and then it kind of hits you it's like dude it's going to be 51 more weeks before you go back to nashville <laughs> for another convention and be around all of that but on the on the good side i'm jacked up and turkey season's cranking up man and in no time like it is i'm gonna be turkey hunting in 19 days that's hard to believe man you bumped that up by about 11 days circumstances change is all i can say that's awesome Uh, i've added a little road trippage to the to the arsenal but man nashville was fun i mean you could just tell the overall joy of everyone to be back in nashville oh yeah and it just it was awesome every part of it was awesome enjoyed meeting i don't know how many listeners we met there but all two of them all both of you being there yeah and well i'm not counting tammy or audrey audrey doesn't listen she hears enough about turkeys (laughs) without podcasts (laughs) trust me tammy's the same way she's like i gotta listen to you no yeah and i have to listen to turkeys no yeah well it was I was really good, man. I, I mean, I told Audrey after I said, I only bought three calls, you know, and 157 books, but three <laughs> calls. And she didn't believe that I was all that good because of the four massive boxes of books and magazine collection in the back. But I only bought three calls, you know, maybe 157 books, but three calls. That's not bad. Well, I mean, the, the books are just <laughs> really more of a byproduct. Yeah. That just kind of happened. It, yeah. You know, that it's only 157 books. Like, right. it's nothing big. Right. But, uh, I so, mean, yeah, my book collection expanded vastly. And I got, I didn't even necessarily go into the show thinking I was going to buy any calls, but you know how that goes. Oh, yeah. You just get hooked in, man. So I got a box call. That. Oh is a sweet little box call. So tell everybody about that box call. I think it's telling you all you need to know right there. (laughs) (laughs) It is called the Barking Hen. And so it is from Roostum Hunting Products. It is a Bloodwood and Hickory box call. So Roostum Hunting Products. I picked it up and played that note right there, that... And it came home with me. So Mm -hmm. I think y'all can see why. But got a box call. I got a Mark Prudhomme tube call from Mm. the KT team, which is a really cool organization that takes disabled hunters out hunting. And so when I heard I could buy a call that benefits them and is made by Mark Prudhomme, that's a pretty easy sell. Does Mark know anything about making calls or even playing calls? I think so, and we have a seminar from Mark and Harold Knight that will be a show soon at some point, and <laughs> you'll get to hear that he knows a little bit Man. about playing a turkey call. It's crazy. He is Great. so good oh. on so many different types of callers. It is, it's one of those things, it's depressing, it, because he's so good on all of them, and I'm all like of them. average good on... 50% of the different types. Yeah, no, he, he he just sounds a level above. And I mean, Harold Knight oh, no in that seminar was like, this is the best. 
the best in the world right here, you know. <laughs> and it's kind of hard to argue with that, especially it, with a trumpet is. or a tube call. So, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe Matt Van Sice, now the seven-time Grand National Champion after Nashville, Which might also insane. Might take him on on the diaphragm, but he Van Sice. I mean, I don't, I don't know that he'll ever hear this thing, but man, I heard him call unbelievable, unreal. The he made his kikis, his lost yelps and kikis sounded like three different turkeys, one 300 yards away, one 100 yards away, and one off to the right somewhere. Like the way he casts his voice is unbelievable. Hmm. But anyway, I got those two, and then I bought one diaphragm call. And, and I'm not a good, I got to learn this tube call. I got. cut on it really well and i'll probably will use it for that purpose but my yelps aren't there yet and i think i might be able to get a little gobble action out of there maybe some jake yelps so do a hen yelp on there because you know i think oh, no. i think it's important seriously i think it's important that the listeners understand that you didn't just wake up being good at calling no, i mean i i don't have it yet i can't figure out the You're not gotta, far from it. Huh? You're you're seriously, you're not far from it. I think, and we know how the microphone screws with the sound of these calls. Yeah. But being so close to it, I should say, you know, if you're 30, 40 yards away from it in the woods, different story. That is the real world. But being so close to the mic, it distorts the sound. But I think if you'll listen back to this, when we post this episode, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. You know it's not exactly where it needs to be, but you're not far from it, is what I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell the call itself has got the hen in it. Oh, you know? yeah. I just have to release her. Yeah. And the cuts, I mean, I think the cuts sound pretty good, which is easy to do on this. And I could definitely see me midday running a ridge and you just... You know he's going to hit that. It's going to happen. So, overall, I'm very happy with my purchases. The, the barking hen will be in the vest this year for sure. I mean, that's that's just got that turkey in it. But yeah. Nashville overall, unreal, man. I just, I was so happy to see everybody and meet everyone and catch up with folks I hadn't seen in a while. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I think I was more well-behaved than you were. <laughs> especially on the book front <laughs> definitely on the book front i bought two calls right i didn't even see you buy any calls so i'm interested yeah so the call i got a titanium pot call oh i do know that you got that one from pecker wrecker game calls all right and, you know, I've said this several times on the show. I like these calls that are different. And Very different call, for sure. I almost bought another metal playing surface on Saturday before we left, but I didn't do it. And I'm kind of kicking myself in the rear end for it. But it was also at Roostum. But, you know, you go with a budget, you go with intentions, and, and you try to kind of stay at least somewhat within that. So my other call that I got 
is I got an Anthony Ellis trumpet. So ah, that thing is sweet. You yeah, talked about it at Unicoi. I did, yeah. And you know, I, I said after that show when I was doing the recap, I said I really I fell in love with a call over there and I really wanted it. But you know, you you go with a mindset of of spending X for your budget. And the truth of the matter is nine times out of 10 at a place like Unicor, you're going to go over that budget. <laughs> but you've got to be able to show some sort of self-control and not go 3X, 5X, 10X over your budget. Yeah. So I, I held back and I didn't didn't pull the trigger on Anthony's trumpet. Well, I've got an Anthony Ellis trumpet now. And Sunday, when I got home, I went a little, I didn't go a little crazy. I didn't go a little overboard. I did what I'm supposed to do. I went outside in the backyard, put the recorder on a tree with a microphone, and I ran both of those calls. So I'm going to play both of those now so you guys can kind of hear how they sound in the real woods. So listen into this. This is the Anthony Ellis trumpet call. Next call is Hecker Wrecker Titanium Pot Call.
That's awesome. How many people you think were recording themselves playing calls on Sunday? Ten. <laughs> yeah. I bet it was quite a few, judging by the crowd I saw in Nashville. There was a lot of calls sold. There were a lot of calls sold. There were a lot of people rolling through there. It was a great time. And we're going to do an entire recap for you yeah. guys next week or the week after. But yeah, for those of you who stopped by the podcast booth and introduced yourselves and said hello, thank you. That's awesome. I know I'm speaking for Cameron now, but I know he's going to second what I'm about to say. You know, that made my weekend, being able oh to, to meet you guys and, and you know, be able to share this obsession, this addiction that we have. And even if it was just a quick hello and a handshake, that was awesome. But for those of you that we got to spend some time with and really talk to, thank you. Yeah, you know, seriously, it, it thank you. A lot. My encouragement level for doing this podcast went up astronomically just just because people stopping by and saying something as simple as hey guys really enjoy it thanks for doing that and to me that was really encouraging and just it's refreshing to see real human beings telling you they're listening and enjoy it so thank you to those people who stopped by yes indeed well Well, very cool we will have a nashville convention episode as andy said but this week, we got one of the, I mean, pinnacle turkey hunters of our time, in my opinion. No doubt. Will Primos. No doubt about it. Revolutionary and guy. I talked to Will quite a while ago about doing this interview, this topic with yeah. him. And, you know, he, he, the guy's just a history buff, period. And, you know, which is cool. But it's not so much history for him when he's telling about himself. It's, you know, or his company. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's just reliving the past. And I think he even said it in the, you know, towards the end of the interview that, you know, thanks for giving me an opportunity to, to relive a lot of this. You know, a lot of yeah. his experiences and relive in his mind a lot of the hunts from those early truth series videos, those VHS tapes that they produced. And, yeah, you know, he gave a little tip, you know, he dro- dropped a little tip out there for the collectors. <laughs> he did, so, especially he, for the collectors, for sure. If you pay attention yeah. to that, but yeah, you want to give us your countdown and then let's hop in there and talk to Will. Heck yeah. We're 29 days, 9 hours, 54 minutes, and 58 seconds away from opening day of spring season in Alabama. That just rolled off the tongue. Well, let's hop in there. Let's talk to Will Primos. Y'all enjoy this because this, I enjoyed it. I just can't tell you how happy I was to talk to Will Primos. So see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you we have on the line with us today the one, the only, Will Primos. And we tricked Will, maybe twisted his arm pretty hard to get him to come on today and share a little bit of Primo's history with us. And I'm particularly interested in the Truth series and how all that got started and so on and so forth. And so I know it's going to be hard to probably find anyone listening to this show who doesn't have a Primo's turkey call in their vest or at least one in their collection. I think that's 
probably a given for pretty much everybody listening to this show. So I'm excited about this. Will's just a great guy, and I'm trying to come up with something that Will doesn't know a good bit about, and I'm struggling. So that's what oh we're in for gosh, today. Oh, my gosh, you are. That would not be hard to do. Come on now. Come on. You're, you're not going to yeah, talk good about yourself, so I have to do it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm proud to be with you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah for taking time out and coming on with us. You're you're enjoying, I'm going to call it semi-retirement because you still do a lot of trade shows and things like that, but you, you seem to be enjoying semi-retirement and doing, doing a lot of things that you've been wanting to do. You know, I really like. am. I, I really am. It was a tremendous transition from when we sold Primo's, Jimmy Primo's and I, my cousin, sold it in 2006, in December of 2006. And so both of us stayed on with the with the new ownership, which was a private equity firm out of Chicago. And um, we 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 worked hard to grow the business. We doubled the, it in sales and then put it back on the market. So Jimmy and I were heavily involved. I think it was a seven more years. And then as you're, it's it, it's consuming, it's your whole life. It's from minutes you wake up until you go to bed. And trying to have a life of your own it really doesn't exist. If you didn't have a great spouse to help support you, it'd be very very difficult. But we did grow it. We did make that transition. But even after then, when we sold it uh, finally to Bushnell Corporation, bought it from the private equity firm, and Jimmy and I had a little interest going forward. So we're now completely out of it at that time. So that would have been approximately 2013, 14. And from there, just trying to let go of, of I handled all the legal, all the patents and trademarks. And I, I knew every every word. I'd learned a lot about it. I worked very closely with our attorneys. I think we had 54 patents and 70-something trademarks that we used to market the company. Wow. And as the new regime took that over, you know, it, it slowly began to where I, I started not getting as many emails, which, you know, for, for people who live in that, in that email world, you might get 200 a day or more. So it, it, was, it was quite a transition, but I am enjoying the semi-retirement. Um, I still work for the company. The company, Vista Outdoor, bought Bushnell. They own yeah. uh, Federal, CCI, Spear, Blackhawk. I'm not mistaken. I just saw a report they bought Heavy Shot. They've got about 50-something brands in the outdoor world, and um, Primo's is one of those brands. So we still have the management group. It still has an office here. It's actually in a little small town close to Florida where it was in Gluckstadt, Mississippi. Uh, but the management team, the marketing team, the graphic design team, the sales team, they're all in that office. So there's probably 12 or 14 of them. Uh, Jason Jones, who heads up the Internet, uh, the video crew, Troy Ruiz, Jason Blissett, Lake Pickle, all that are there. And, of course, Jimmy, myself, and Brad Ferris still are on the TV show and still uh, help them produce uh, the main marketing for the company, which is actually going out and testing product and hunting and just enjoying being in the outdoors. Uh, we've been very lucky. Started that in 1986, published the first video in 87, uh, so we've been doing it all that time. We're still doing it and still find it fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I saw you designed a new turkey vest that Primo's has been marketing. I've seen on, on social media feeds. Yeah. That, looks 
that was kind of interesting. Some of the things that they built have you tried to keep the price points extremely low, which which can affect quality. Mm. So they they. They, they called me and they said they wanted to do a Will Primo's turkey vest. And I said, I'm out. I ain't going to do it. <laughs> and, um, and, and they said, they just jumped back and said, you know, what's the deal? You know? And I said, well, you're not going to make it to my standards and I ain't putting my name on. And they said, no, 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 no. We are going to do it. We're going to build it exactly like you want it. And then we're going to price it. I said, get ready. It's going to cost $500. And, uh, it ended up, I'll forget, I'll forget what the, the, the price point is, but it's not cheap. But it, it's got a few little tweaks we'll make to it, but we used it for a year and a half. And it, it's, it is amazing what, how well balanced it is and what you can put in it. Great zippers, and it just doesn't tear up. So um, I, I carry a lot of stuff, even in hot weather when I'm turkey hunting. So I, I, really, I really made it so you're not going to lose another striker. Nothing's going to fall out of your pocket. Whoa. <laughs> I love it. That's what I'm after. <laughs> I, I lose about ten a year. So that sounds perfect. Yeah, you could you could start you could start a bonfire with the number of strikers that I've left in the woods. <laughs> We've probably left strikers near each other, to be completely honest, and just don't even know it. And my pot will be yeah, sitting right yeah. there beside it. Yeah. We we had a, a gentleman on the show not too long ago that was telling us that he found that he sat down against an oak tree on the side of a hill or a mountain, depending on what part of the country you live in and call those things. And he sat down and he was calling to a turkey and he thought, man, I'm sitting on something. Something's uncomfortable. And he reaches down and kind of scratches in the leaves a little bit underneath him. And it was a old box call that had been there for God only knows how long. And the it was just really half of a box call and so he said he stuck that in his vest and he thought that was really cool of course i did too that's that, pretty that is cool yeah that is cool sat down at the exact same tree that somebody else sat down at and he said you know think about that person probably shot a turkey and ran off and you know ran after that turkey <laughs> and left that call sitting there and didn't even think anything about it well you you, you know in the old days you know used to we taught it you, you shot that turkey and you got up and you ran for mm -hmm. that began to be a, a, a looked at as a safety issue and you didn't want to run especially with the gun in your hands and that kind of thing but the reason the reason that ever got started was in the old days the shotgun shell the 12 gauge wasn't two and three quarters it wasn't three inches it was two and a half inches and <laughs> you wanted as many bbs as you could have so typically you shot seven and a half and so you'd shoot a turkey at 30 yards and a two and a half inch 12 gauge seven and a half and you could knock him out you could knock him down but you didn't break his neck and if you didn't wow. get on him pretty quick, you're going to be chasing him down if you were able to catch him. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I, I've always kind of thought that was probably the reason is that it didn't nearly have the knockdown power we have now, but I, I didn't even know there were two-and-a-half-inch shells. That's that's pretty interesting. What The, the reason you, tell, you we would teach people, get to him and put your foot on his head, put right in the instep of your – right in front of your heel – hold down his neck and the reason you do that when he starts flopping trying to get away he breaks his own neck mm. Mm. very interesting <laughs> you, you tell the story about shooting those seven and a halfs and having to run one down like maybe you've done that once or twice i refrain from talking anymore <laughs> that's gonna be an awful i'm gonna, I'm gonna say more i'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say more stuff that's gonna incriminate me i gotta be careful <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think that 
anyone listening to the show today knows that turkey hunting today is so much different than it was even 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. But my goodness, you know, and, and I'm not saying you're old. You're going to say that. I'm not going to say it. But you, you've seen the industry change a lot over your lifetime as a turkey hunter. And then in addition to that, your career in the industry. So, well, I have, I'll be 70 in three weeks, less than three weeks. So I'm, my age is, you know, catching up to me and I have seen a lot of changes, you know, used to the, the best advice a turkey hunter could give another turkey hunter was to yelp three times at him and shut up. He'll mm-hmm. show up sometime during the day. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a certain amount of fun, and I have used that technique on purpose and had one show up two, three hours later because uh, I could hear him drumming out there, and he finally kept drumming around and getting close enough. But I, I think I figured out why that was the advice. In 1897, Mr. Gibson patented the first box cup, and um, that, the call had straight sideboards with a double-sided box. The lid did not had a, had a screw attaching the lid to the box. It did not have a spring under that screw. That was figured out later. But that was the first step at a mechanical device that somebody could consistently or try to consistently produce turkey talk. And because there was no spring under the lid, you had to hold it between your thumb and your index finger or however you held like to hold it and it it didn't float it 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 wobbled from side to side yeah so it was very difficult to get three yelps in a row out of it so if you could get three yelps out of a row in it you shut up (laughs) and uh and that's why i think the advice is given because you're going to make some really bad sounds if you keep at it so we uh, a lady gave me an original Gibson, and I kept it for years and years, and, and not too long ago, maybe five years ago, four years, I can't remember now. I gave it to the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention, and, and Primo's produced 1,620 1, Gibson replica box calls. We even, we even sourced the screw, which was made in England, and we found the company was still in business, and we got the screws from them, wow. and we used the old black ink stamp, and we created that box call. And I challenged people to go out, as me and Brad Ferris did, and yelp up a turkey with it. And it was a lot of fun, but you began to feel like the old school guys and what they were dealing with because of the technology, if you will, that was available to them. And, and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful history. But as, as time has gone on, what has changed is our ability to accurately reproduce turkey talk and our ability to record it not only on audio recorders in the cassette tape days, but on video and be able to hear it again and again. And it's just, it took so, so long to be in the woods to hear a turkey cackle. And if you heard one cackle, you know, it might be another five years before you heard one cackle again or, 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 or cutting. And then people, first time I cut for somebody, they go, what the heck is that racket you're making? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and and today there's so much more knowledge. We we use the technology, spread the knowledge, and to make better products. The box call of today, the heartbreaker, the tall timber call that we make, box call. Those calls are a far far stretch from the original Gibson. But over the years, from 1897 on, all these cottage industries and all these call makers and all these tinkers kept experimenting with how can I more accurately produce the turkey sound? How can I make it more consistent? So the spring got 
added under the, under the lid of, around the screw, which gave it a tremendous advantage. Then the sideboards began to take different shapes, different woods, different angles, different sizes. All of that added so much. And I'm going to tell you, the master, in my opinion, of understanding wood and the box call is, is Anthony Foster. Anthony runs the Primo's custom shop division uh, down in Brookhaven, Mississippi. That, that part of Primo's is intact, and that they, they produce some fantastic product down there. And he uses CNC equipment to produce a lot of it with very, very precisely chosen wood so the grain, so it's more consistent. Um, golly, the other day I was looking on Dead Gum eBay, and there's some heartbreakers on sale there for two and $300. I'm going, holy crud, I've got about 20 of them. I need to put them on eBay. So. <laughs> Anyway, supplementary it's social security. History and, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing the, the the history and the development of turkey calls. And, and I'm gonna tell you what: the people that have good ears, the people that have the musical ears, they're the best callers too because they hear what they're producing. Mm-hmm. For me, I've lost so much high pitch. I look at my bride, I look at Mary, I say, Mary, which one of these box calls is high pitch? And I'll do both of them. She goes, You can't tell. And I said, no. Yeah. So, you know, you have to lean on others to help you hear what you can't hear. Yeah, that's that's very true. Very true. Well, I was going to ask all this turkey call talk. I feel like at one point I read about how you started making turkey calls. Didn't you, you, you got some calls from some lady who was making them and then you started producing them? In, in, the, in the 1960s and 70s, there was an island uh, outside of, Gosh, I guess it would be almost West Memphis, uh, uh, almost the north northwest corner of Mississippi, called Ham Island. Um, some people called it, uh, I believe they called it Chicago Island. Um, Ham Island w- was named for a, for a guy who ha- had a belief. The Chicago Mill uh, in Chicago bought that land for the timber to produce have the wood to produce the siding for uh, station wagon cars that were being produced at the time. Oh, cool. Is, is, the, is the memory and recollection that I have. But anyway, Eleanor wrestled her name. And Eleanor um, was a turkey hunter. And so I got to go to Ham Island with a friend of mine, Dudley Phelps, who's gone to his reward. And uh, I, I'm, I, I just can't tell you how, how interesting it was to hunt with her out of Clarksdale, Mississippi, they had started making a triple reed mouth call, lead frame, and all the reeds were separated by at least a sixteenth of an inch. So they didn't touch each other. The call was extremely raspy. And back then, there weren't many call manufacturers. I, I think, uh, I don't even think Ben Lee had started yet. Crookable uh, was fixing the start. Uh, um, Penn's Woods was uh, around. Uh, Oat was a big game call company, but didn't make turkey calls that I know of. Um, so anyway, I, I just was infatuated. I was always tinkering. And um, the, the triple reed, because it was stacked with three frames with separated reeds, it was a mouthful. I had a friend of mine who still calls them the biscuits. It made me some more of them biscuits. <laughs> he loved that thing. Um, but uh, I, I, I decided I'm going to try a double reed. And then there was a guy named Brassy Dantone out of Clarksdale, who was also a contemporary uh, at the same time Eleanor did. And uh, he made a, a real good uh, call. 
And so I started making them, and I changed the material and perfected some things about it, and that's really what got it started. And I did all of that because a friend of mine who has gone to his reward, he'd be in his late 90s now, if he was still living, named Buck Beerman, he encouraged me. He said, Will, I'm buying these turkey calls, and they don't last me a day. They fall apart. I want you to make me a turkey call and figure out how to make one last a season. And so I just used different tapes and different materials and different metals to put, the, put it together to put the, the reeds in place, which were made from... We call them rubbers. They call them prophylactics today with condoms or something like that. But we just call them rubbers. You had to go to the service station to buy them. And then we'd slice them up. And I finally learned to use a paper cutter to slice them up. Scissors, they, they wouldn't slice right. They, they would mess you up. Uh, that's, that's, matter of fact, that's the first time I ever made a, a, a turkey call with a, a slice in the reed when I was trying to cut those, those uh, prophylactics, those, those rubbers with uh, scissors. It would roll on me, and it would end up making a jagged edge on the particular reed. And when you put that in place, it had even more rasps. I, I, I don't know if other people were doing it at the same time or not, but I, I experimented with it back in the 70s. Wow, that's that's fascinating. So yeah. that one guy encouraged you to make him that call, and that that's where the call-making started. That's exactly right. It is. Wow. Yeah. That's that's hard to. Uh, did, did he ever imagine it turn into what it is today? You think? <laughs> he had a whole lot more faith in me and a whole lot more. Uh, he had he had more vision than I did. I remember he came in one day. He said, "Will, if you do this right, you can take this public." And I thought this guy lost his mind. There ain't enough people that hunt that can take a company public. And here Primo's is part of a Vista publicly traded company right now. But I know he's rolling over in his grave. That's a great guy. <laughs> that, is, that is crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think you mentioned the first Truth video was recorded in 86 and, and released to the public in 87. Who... Yeah, those dates get right at mighty old, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure... 86, we, we did one, and it was called Spring Turkey Hunting. What was it called? Spring Turkey Hunting with Primos, I think was the name of it. And I had we had we had two hunts on there. Oh, it was horrible. Craw. And then in 87, I met Ronnie Cuz Strickland and hired Ronnie, and Ronnie ran the cameras and produced the truth. And that was videoed in the spring of 87 and produced that year. Okay. So for those who don't one, know. There was one tape before the. Yeah, there was one tape before the truth. For those who don't know, where did the name the truth come from? So we, we got through with that 87 year, and I was I was in the restaurant business. I was born and raised in the restaurant business. My family had five restaurants, and uh, so I was always working. And I, I hired because I had a little game call company on the side that I'd started in 76. So I've been around 10 years. We had about a half million dollars in sales and you know, it was a can to can't kind of deal trying to figure out how to market and how to go to how to package and how to do all that stuff. And I told Cuz, I said, look, I don't know how often I can go hunting with you, and it doesn't matter. Take anybody that'll go. Take their kids. Take If they'll let you hunt their land, take them, whatever, and just go have fun. And video. I think we had 12 hunts when the season was over. Right, Cuz was incredible. He's a very good hunter, very good caller, very good in the woods. And we're sitting around, and we told us, all right, we got to go figure out how to get this thing edited. We hire an edit studio to go in and and it's an old tape, three-quarter inch tape that had to be taken and you had to cut and splice and make things work to produce a video. We didn't know what we were doing. And so, you know, my cousin and I were talking and I said, Well, I don't know, what are we gonna call this tape gum thing? And we kind of throw some names around and all of a sudden Cook kind of exasperated, kind of halfway 
you know, just mouthing off, says, all I know is it's the truth. And I went, that's it. That's it. We'll call it the truth. And um, I'll never forget the next. It, it was such a success. It was incredible success because we didn't fake anything. We missed turkeys. We we, we fell down, we showed it, you know, we just went hunting and we just, we, and Cuz was a master catching it up, having a great hunter's eye behind that camera, he was just a master at it. And the next year we had another tape ready to go and go, oh, what are we going to call it? And everybody started talking about names and, and everybody was talking about, we're not going to call it the truth, that's the truth, is the truth, it'll always be the truth, we'll have to think of a new name for this one. I said, are you crazy? We're going to call this one the truth too. Mm-hmm. So, if you go back and find an original truth video, a, a VHS cassette tape video, it will say the truth. When we had to reprint, I think we sold 80,000. When we had to reprint, we put a one in front of it to separate it from the truth two. So then you had truth one and truth two. That the original cover, the original sleeve says the truth. That's pretty interesting. So that was your brainchild. And well, it was a lot of people. I, I can't take all the credit. I mean, I, 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 I had read a book called Radical Marketing at some point in my career. And I, and I, I refer back to that because when you are cre- trying to create a company and you're trying to grow something and do something, an ad in Ducks Unlimited will cost you $125,000 a month. And if you don't have any money, that's, you don't even know how, how, how successful the ad is because right. nobody's you know sending you orders saying I saw it in the VU or whatever it might be. Um, so you, you got to realize that you've got to do things that that get you notoriety and exposure. And I learned that from in 1983 when I produced the first audio cassette. I took a I, I took a guy who followed me around with a Swedish Nagra recorder and he had two big reels. He'd take the top off and set the reels on the thing. And it was a parabolic directional mic, and he would follow me through the woods best he could. And we'd sit down, and he'd point it to the turkey. And I'd talk to the turkey and let the turkey gobble, the turkey come. And then when I shot him and I'd run to him, and he'd flop, and you hear his wings beating the ground and everything. That tape was so successful, and so many people took it and stuck it in the audio cassette players in their cars because that was the technology. It wasn't CDs at the time. And that's how they, that's how they got the information. And on that tape, I, I had the actual hunts, but I also – took you through everything from purring to, to clucking to yelping, teaching you what was the difference in a putt and a cluck and, you know, why you want to do certain things. And I had other people join me, Buddy Hanks and my friend Russell Davis, who's gone to his reward. Um, they were on the tape with me, and we just exposed our love of turkey hunting with the general public. And, you know, timing is huge. Yeah. Just so happened, I think in 1975, the National Wild Turkey Federation got started and started promoting trapping of the wild turkeys, and the, the, and the state chapter started forming, and people got interested. It was something to do besides just catch crappie in the spring, and you go you go hunting in the morning and catch crappie in the afternoon. So you know, all that just timing just was great, and, and and the number of turkey hunters exploded, the number of turkeys exploded, and we just were lucky enough to be there and be able to ride along with the growth of it. Yeah, that. So, do you remember? You said I think there was twelve hunts. Do you remember who was in that first truth video? That's a lot. Well, of people I remember, remember a lot of them. I mean, yeah, I'm about to jog my my brain to. to remember everybody that was on there and it and it's not really all that important but how many 
how many people that were on that video ended up being regulars or eventually coming to work for Primos can you think of? <laughs> well, it's pretty amazing the number. Many of them did. Many of them did, and many of them stayed as part of the video series alone. Yeah. At the same time, uh, Mossy Oak came about, and, and Bill Stug was uh, he's actually Taki Hayes' brother-in-law, but he, he was he was not married to Toxic's sister at the time. He came to see me in 1984 or five and wanted to learn how to use a mouth call. So we had a friendship. So in 86, I think it was, he came to see me and said his friend Toxie Hayes had created this bottomland and hill country uh, patterns called Mossy Oak. Mossy Oak bottomland and Mossy Oak hill country. And he wanted me to look at them. And I said, man, I'm working with Jim Crumley at Treebark, and, and, but I'll be glad to look at them for you. He came to my house and I walked out back outside and I hung a, a shirt and a pair of pants on a, on a cherry tree and on a, on a water oak. And on a pine tree, and I backed up, and I looked at it, and I went, "You can have that hill country, but that bottom land, I'll buy that. Time. <laughs> I'll buy it right now." <laughs> and <laughs> it's been, it was a great time. And so I, they they didn't know anything about you know shot shows and shows and all that that I'd been going to since '84. So we went to the shows together, and I helped took all my customers to them. And man, Mossy Oak exploded. And Toxie is a serial entrepreneur, and he has done a fantastic job. I talked to Bill Sub the other day. I'm watching Fox News in the middle of the day, and there's a show on Fox News called Outnumbered. Mm -hmm. It's usually one guy and four women, and the guy is outnumbered, and that's why I guess they call it Outnumbered. Well. Uh, Joey, Joey is a bomb technique, and he has legs blown off in Afghanistan, and he's on the show a lot. And he has owned the show on Outnumbered wearing a multi-oak bottomland blazer. Nice. I, took, I took a picture of the took a picture of the, of the TV, and I called Bill Sugg. I said, Bill, I'm thinking to send you something. If this ain't a tribute, I don't know what it is. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Well, that... I've told you this in a couple of our other calls that we've had, but those videos for me, I was, uh, so I was in college and I'd go over to at least one buddy's, if not a couple of different buddy house during the day in between classes and that kind of thing. Cause I lived about 10 minutes from campus and they all lived, you know, one or two minutes from campus. And so I'd go over there and hang out and we might drink a cold beer, but we would definitely watch the truth videos on vhs and that was really before i even got into hunting i went turkey hunting the first time when i was a freshman in college and so i think i'd been you know one or maybe two times and you know i'd go over to their houses and they'd have the videos playing and we'd watch those and then you know we'd probably end up skipping class and go fishing or something else you know in the springtime but that i just remember watching those videos and then you know, I started to get a little bit more interested in turkeys as they got more interested in them. And, you know, those those videos were a valuable, very valuable learning tool for us. And, you know, I, I even carried that on, gosh, uh, when I got out of college and, you know, probably for the next, I'd say, six or eight years buying different videos from night and hell from the truth series i mean it there were there were several of them after you guys kind of broke the ground on all that and, and got all that started and other companies started to to imitate that and pick up on the fact that it was not only teaching people how to turkey hunt and how to be tur better turkey hunters 
but it was also selling product. And so, well, if you did it honestly and and didn't try to shove it down people's throat and just expose them to what was possible, that that's what worked for us. Right. Um, it didn't work. It didn't work for us to say, "Man, you got to be using a Prima." It just it just didn't work for us. So we we promoted and and showed the products, but you know we were we were competitors and we tried hard and you know it's amazing the young people. I say young people, and I mean that. I mean people younger than me, 20 years and younger than me, that that grew up watching that stuff, that didn't have a father or a, an uncle or whatever to take them hunting, and, and it, it sparked a, a desire in them to be a part of that. And the number of people that have come up and expressed that is a very rewarding, humbling uh, experience, and that has happened hundreds of times that people have, That's, are you Will Primo? I, I shoot sporting clays. I'm a big sporting clay shooter, and I was in the shooting in the world a couple of years ago. And um, these guys ended up going, you are Will Primo's, aren't you? you know, and I said, yeah. And, oh, my gosh, they stopped the tournament and had their picture made. <laughs> and and that's, that's rewarding and yeah. it, it's, it's amazing, but it's the way they express it. It's the way they talk about what the videos did for them and meant to them. We didn't want to, we didn't, we weren't really trying to do something like that. We were just trying to share what we love so much. So it came across genuinely. And I think we're lost in today's world because little did I know, starting about 2008, the, the videos, the, the CD player, the, the DVD player was going to go away. Mm-hmm. You were going to get your, your entertainment and your music and what you listen to in another whole fashion. So the Primo's YouTube channel's alive and streaming's alive and it's there, but it's not the event. That's the what I, this is what I think. It was not the event it was. Every year in July, our shipments went out to Walmart, every Walmart store in the United States, as well as anybody wow. else who wanted to order them. And we sold millions of deer and elk and turkey tapes all under the truth name. And people were lined up to buy them. And, and they took them home and shared them. But it was in their TV. And you were part of their living room. And so it's just a little different when you're looking at it on your phone versus in, versus in your living room. And we kept it we kept it clean. I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. a, I'm a strong believer. I'm a Christian. I, I love the Lord. And I, I don't want to disappoint him. And so our takes were clean. And people would, would share that with me. Thank you for keeping them clean and for allowing us to be able to sit down with our children and watch something like that, that that's clean. So all those things were rewarding. We didn't set out to do it. God just kind of let us down the path, but we did listen to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, in addition to being clean, they were also respectfully done. And, you know, the animal was given its, its you know, the the proper respect that it was that it deserved and, you know, other than standing on their, their heads. <laughs> yeah. But that's all we knew. Yeah. So that's, what, that's what you did. You, you shot and you got up and ran. The, I, I don't call the turkey a bird. Russell Davis was totally against that. He said the turkey is not a bird. He, he is, he's, a, he's a wild turkey. He, 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 he's got a lot more respect <laughs> for me than a bird. And hmm. um, I, one time I was in Alabama and I was at a camp. And one of the guys, a member of the camp, I was a guest, he killed a turkey. Everybody had their own little cabin. And he hung that turkey by its neck in front of the cabin. And he'd drawn him, so he was dripping a little blood, which is fine. But by, by hanging him by his neck, the turkey's tongue was sticking out. And it was just it was just a disrespectful fight to me. Mm. So 
I walked over there and I cut him down. I cut that turkey down and I hung him by his feet and put him back up. That guy was furious. Hmm. But I told him, I said, I'm sorry. I just, I didn't see it as respect. <laughs> I do respect him. Um, oh. And that goes for all God's creatures out there. He gave them to us to enjoy and to help add sustenance to our lives. And I'm glad we can still go put dinner on the table by hunting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a that's a good story. I, I think a lot of folks need to hear something like that because it, it's good to have pay your respects after the deed's done kind of deal. I like that. Yeah. How long was it? I, I'm just curious how the transition went. Where y'all you started with Cuz was filming, and then at what point did Ron Jolly come in? Did did Cuz leave and then Ron came in, or did they work it together? Well, they worked together a lot. So after that first year, Mossy Oak had taken off. Foxy had, had gotten some great money behind him through SBA loans and so forth. And the, the turkey, the, a pair of pants and a shirt sold for a whole lot more than a mouth call. I mean, mouth calls were selling for a maximum four ninety nine back then. So to create profitable revenue was harder for me with my product line. And I just couldn't keep up. I couldn't I couldn't grow fast and I couldn't I couldn't make things work financially. I'd bought a truck for Cuz and he rode around and got the videos. So I talked to Cuz and talked to Toxie and to Bill Sugg and I said, Look, I can't hang on. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to throttle back a little bit or I'm gonna drive myself out of business. Um Cuz I think will go to work for y'all and he can run PR for you. Toxie said, well, let's work out a deal. He can keep running the camera and getting footage for you, and y'all can edit it. And so at that time, Chuck Jones was available, and Chuck was before Jolly. He came in and started helping, and then uh, Cuz was doing it some, and Jolly was doing it some. And so we all just put our forces together, but we kept gathering enough footage to keep the truth series alive. And from there, it went on to different people who ran the department. Um, I was always a very, very strong part of it but jeff sherwood was uh in there uh at, at, at one point and then came brad ferris and brad is still there with us today and brad ran the department for 18 years just making sure we kept all the elk deer big game and turkey truth series alive and that took a lot of hard work a lot of time away from families in the field it's amazing a lot of people thought they wanted that job and then they go on a trip with us and find out they didn't want that job (laughs) yeah yeah that's pretty cool yeah i was just curious because jolly's been a good friend of the show and we've talked to him some about oh heck yeah jolly jolly and tess are great yeah yeah great i love his book uh, he wrote a great book, and uh, he's a uh, he's a big big force in the out- outdoor world. But now yeah. the department is is, is run uh, by Toy Riz is one of the main producers who was at Primos for a while. Left went to Mossy Oak, came back. Uh, he worked for Mossy Oak for a while too. Uh, Lake Pickle, Jordan Blissett, and, uh, and and Troy are the main meat of the show. And then you've got Slade Reed, who used to work for Jolly in Alabama for the uh, Alabama State for that for their video uh, TV show. And Slade is one of the main was, one, was a great editor, great eye, and he's still he's right there editing every day. And then you've got Jimmy and me and Brad who are, who are part of it as well. Mm. Very cool. How how critical were the truth videos and not just the turkeys, but the deer and the elk as well in establishing? the Primos brand, in your opinion. Just, you know, talk a little business for just a few minutes on that yeah. side well, of it. Well, you know, done, done right, done right, video can really uh, add a lot to your credibility. Done mm-hmm. wrong, it can take credibility away. Mm-hmm. So we 
we didn't fake anything. We might reshoot something because the camera was on the deer and, and people wanted to see what, what's the hunter dealing with, what's he dealing with. So we'd have him kind of recreate something to be able to edit that in and put it together. But um, for, the, for the vast majority, we never reshot. That became a problem for the Outdoor Channel. They didn't like some of the stuff we did because they said, you just need to reshoot it. You need to reshoot it uh, because the plane flew over. Well, the turkey came while the plane was flying over. We couldn't feel, we, couldn't, we can't tell the plane to fly off. Yeah. You know? So just the, the elk and, and the deer and all that done right, when you start showing people how to call up deer, they're flabbergasted. When you have that big old elk coming there screaming and you're, you're able to understand what, how to set up on him with the collar behind you, we've killed over 300 elk on video with wow. a boat. Since wow. 1990, and wow. it, it, it's amazing the footage we've got. But we understand it. We understand we access good places. Don't get me wrong, but yet we also know how to get the elk to come close enough so the hunter can shoot him with a bow and the cameraman can video him. And that takes having a caller 75 to 150 yards behind. So the the series, it, it's amazing how much credibility it gave us. And then we were able to show people why we were using the calls and why we were doing the things that we were that made things work, that made uh, the, the right sound. And, you know, trying to create new products like the Hoochie Mama and then thinking up a name like the Hoochie Mama. Even our duck series videos, at one time, the winch was the number one selling duck call in the country. The, the people that bought Primo's didn't like the numbers, the monetary profitable numbers, because there's so few duck hunters, and so they quit paying attention to it. I wish they wouldn't have, but the winch is still still a great call. It, it, all, it had, a, it had, a, big, it had a, big, a, a, a big influence, Andy and Cameron, on, on the credibility and on the, on the notoriety of Primo's being able to consistently produce real footage, whitetail, elk, predator with Randy Anderson, uh, the truth series, big game hunting, uh, all of it gave Primo's a tremendous leg up on competition. Yeah. So just on a personal level, how difficult was it for you being in those videos and, and the notoriety, the, you know, kind of the, the, Gosh, I hate to use the word because I believe if you're in the hunting industry, you don't really have it. But the fame within the industry that it created for you personally, knowing what you told me, gosh, some time ago, which was just totally eye-opening to me, and that is that you're more of an introvert than a lot of yeah, people I, may I know. Can be, I can be extroverted. I can, I can be outgoing. Um, I can get involved. But at the same time, there's a big part of me that just wants to sit back and not, you know, not, not be in the limelight. The, the, the phenomenon of the video camera, the phenomenon of the 8mm or the 16mm movie cameras, there are people that that camera likes and there are people the camera doesn't like. And that's a gift. Yeah. And I didn't want to be, if you go back and I think I'm thinking of one right now, the truth to turkey take, I'm not on one hunt. I'm on the porch reliving the hunt, but I was too busy trying to make a living and keep the game call business alive. I was in the restaurant business. I was working all the time and I didn't have time to go on a hunt. So I, I was, I, 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 I don't. I didn't kill one turkey on the whole tape. But you don't really feel that or see that because I'm on the porch scene bringing them together. Right. But the camera, the camera lights uh, me. 
And I hated that because that meant I had to do that too. I was wearing enough hats as it was. I, I think for me, I didn't want the notoriety. I didn't want to be a hero. I didn't want to be a known hunting personality. I still don't. Um, it comes with the territory, but I think that's the biggest mistake that most people make. They get into the TV, hunting TV world or the, the video world trying to produce stuff because they want to be a hero. And in this world, we, we, we finally trademark a phrase, this ain't Hollywood. Yeah. And the truth is not Hollywood. We, we don't, the, the turkeys don't read the script, the deer don't read the script, the cows, the elk, they don't read the script. You get what you're going to get, and you got to be good enough to understand how to play the wind, how to move in the woods, how to sit down, how to move, how to get it all done so the cameraman can capture it and share it with the general public so that they can envision them being in your shoes. And all that comes from not trying to be what I call trying to be a star. You're just trying to share it. I cannot tell you how much better hunters our video work made us. If we got to sit in the edit room and look at it and study it. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize I cackled twice at that turkey. Oh, I didn't realize this. I didn't. I didn't realize that that Chris Ashley did this before this happened when that elk came up because the camera revealed it. Mm -hmm. And you begin to learn little things: when to draw, when not to draw, when to make a move on a turkey, when not to move, how to move by watching yourself or others and the reaction of the animal. Those are invaluable lessons. You can hunt enough that you can maybe figure it out a little bit. But, man, when you can relive it, you learn it that much more. Very true. Very true. We've had several people on the show that talk about how running the video camera has helped them be able to understand body language of, you know, deer and turkeys, things like that, you know. I'm going to tell you what. There's nobody better than Ron Jolly. I had seen Ron Jolly behind the camera move a camera, and I'm looking at him as a hunter going, what in the world is he doing? And all of a sudden, the animal steps out in the center of the frame of the camera. The guy's got it. Yeah. He's got ears. He hears stuff mm -hmm. you don't hear, and he can put it together, and he hunts through the lens of that camera, just like Tess hunts through the lens of that still camera. She's an unbelievable photographer. She is definitely uh, yeah. that. Yeah, they definitely are, and they're they're doing some good things with their new organization, Turkeys for Tomorrow. I know we, we stay in contact with Jolly a lot, but he, he sent me a picture the other day. And his comment was, you should see what Tess would have done. <laughs> that he did, I guess. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. But that's pretty, that, I think you're dead on. You gotta, I think that's why people gravitated towards your videos, because they could tell you weren't trying to be the hero. You know, y'all just showed it like it was. A couple guys going hunting. Yeah. Yeah. They'll do it that way today. Absolutely. If I got one more question for you, if you're wanting to wrap it up, Andy, but I was going to ask if you could go turkey hunting one last time, if you only had one more time, where are you going? If I had to guess, I'm saying a, a bottom swamp in Mississippi, but is that oh, correct? you done nailed it, my friend. You done nailed it. <laughs> that, that's I, about I, what I, I figured. I will, I will tell you this. The other day, somebody asked me, what do I like to hunt the most? And I've been asked that question a lot. So I wrote down my answer, and my answer is this. Turkeys or elk or big mature deer, wild cubbies on the rise, big bass on top water, or is it greenheads when cut to the decoys? All can be exceptions. Day in and day out, it is the sunrises and sunsets 
I cherish most. Mm, I like that. I, I don't. Yeah. Is there anything we could end the interview with that'd be any better than that, Cameron? Nah, nah. I'm I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no point talking after that. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for your time. You know, whenever I do these things, you never know where it's going to go. And I know I've talked a lot. But what you've done for me is you've allowed me to relive the memories and to be very, very, very much appreciative of all that's come out. Well, Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you, what you've done for the industry. And, and you know, I, I appreciate you as far as what you've, what you've done to help me and become a just slightly below average turkey hunter because i'd be way below average turkey hunter if if not for the truth <laughs> videos and all those other things that have helped me along the way but uh, i'm i'm saying all that tongue-in-cheek but you know it's it it is people like you that really pioneered a certain era in this industry in the hunting industry that you know i, I think so many people look at at you as I, i'll say it this way if people wanted to model themselves after an actor or somebody like that in Hollywood that we know is not living right, or Will Primos, who, you know, based on this podcast and all the interviews and all the shows that we've ever seen and all the magazine articles we've ever read with you in them, we know you're living right. People are going to yeah. model themselves after you and, and, you know, do the right thing in the woods, you know, when it comes to hunting and that kind of that type of thing. And so, yeah. you know, we, we appreciate you just being one of that group of outdoorsmen that, that, you know, I think we're, have set examples for us. So thank you. Well, thank you. I, I, yeah. I'm humbled by that. I, I know I'm not perfect, but I will say this, all that you said, all of the truth series, all the footage, all the hands that punched the record button or didn't in some cases, all those people like Ronnie Cush and Chuck Jones and Ron Jolly and Jeff Sherwood and Brad Pitt. Kevin Meacham, Troy, Lake, Jordan, all those could be what it is. So if it was just me, just think about it. You wouldn't have any of that. But thank, mm -hmm. thank God for all the people that have come along and wanted to share the drink. Very true. Awesome. Thank you, Mr. Will. I really appreciate it from, yes, from my perspective. You Good luck turkey hunting. Thank hey, you. Right, Look man. forward to seeing you in Nashville here in, a, in about 10 days or so. Watch, watch, where, you, watch where you step. Because I know there's some big rattlesnakes in Alabama and Mississippi. And I know a couple of years ago, I sat down and yelped at a turkey. And when I reached out to get my box call, it was a rattlesnake, eight inches, fully coiled from my box call. Wow. So be Is that careful. box call still sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> nope. I got the box call, but I did not kill the snake. He striked me, and I, I was so thankful. But, uh, I'll, I'll try to send you a picture. Yeah, please well, do. Good deal. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you, Mr. Will. Thank you, Will. Right. See you soon. Y'all be good. You too. All right. Goodbye. Bye bye. I mean, that ending with that, I mean, I don't know what you call that, maybe pure poetry of his answer to his favorite thing to hunt. Yeah. Can't end it with anything better than that. What a, what a class act, man. He is definitely that. Definitely that. And, you know, you look at someone who has had just a, tremendous effect on the sport of turkey hunting and you know he 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 changed turkey hunting no doubt. i mean and not just by one way you know not just by making turkey calls he changed it that way but yeah. by the number of people like me who were able to gain a little bit of knowledge and experience from those videos and you know then you've got the whole aspect of 
okay, well, we get to actually watch somebody hunt turkeys anytime we want, anytime. And then look at what the company Primos has done as far as evolving marketing in the hunting industry. Yeah. You know, here come all of these, all of these VHS tapes about not just turkeys, but deer and elk. And they're selling and not shoving them down your throat, but they're selling calls and they're selling product through these videos in such a, a way that you don't even know you're being sold. Yeah. You know, it's cool. The part that, struck a chord with me of that interview was him talking about the event that used to be the tapes or DVDs. Yeah. I miss that. It made me miss that because I specifically remember we, when I was a young Turkey hunter getting those, it was DVDs for me. I know VHS, we, we did do VHS really young, but I specifically remember getting the new DVDs and before opening day of turkey season, we, you know, my brothers and my dad and I would all sit in there and watch it together. Mm-hmm. And I mean, then you just, there was no way I was sleeping that night. You know, like I just got so fired up and yeah. like the camaraderie and, and, you know, you were talking about going and watching them with your buddies in college and stuff. But I miss that. I don't, we don't do that anymore. You know, um, it's all just so available on your phone whenever that you just kind of are inundated with it there's no like he said there's not the event anymore yeah and i think i'm gonna try to get back to that more this year with my brothers and stuff maybe we'll try to watch some stuff like that again and i just you know like eddie salter back in the day when i when you say that name all you can think of is after he shoots a turkey him going oh yeah i mean that (laughs) that was it man like that was it and i just I could I could see myself sitting on the couch at the at the camp house right now watching that, you yep. know, and it just brings back so many cool memories. And I I hope we can get back to that. Like, I want to do that with my family now and stuff. So it, when he said that, I, I had never thought about it. But that is something we've we've gotten away from because I mean, I, duck hunting. I specifically remember when the new duck commander would come out like that was a we were at Walmart that day to buy it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it just is a. It's interesting the way he put that. It, it struck a chord with me, and also his story of the guy hanging the gobbler up, and he viewed it as disrespectful, and he just went and cut him down. I thought that was freaking awesome. Yeah. So incredible interview. I uh, I know everyone enjoyed that. I mean, and, and when you listen to Will Primos, you know why the guy was successful. He he's just about the most likable person ever. He is. Yeah. Just genuine. I mean, you know, somebody that just to the core cares about the sport, cares about the people who are buying his products, wants them to be as good as they can be at it and get the experiences out of using his products that he hoped for and that he gets. And so, you know, it's not all about making a sale. I mean, no. He genuinely wants you to go out and use his calls or use whatever product it is and have success. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool story, too, there about him learning from a woman on an island in the Mississippi River, and then he's out making calls with condoms. I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? 
how far has this thing gone in a lifetime? You it's know, crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's un- unbelievable. So I, it just like, I don't know. That interview took me back to what I would say is probably going to be the golden years of turkey hunting. I hope, I hope the golden years are ahead, but I'm mighty afraid those years have passed and, and what Will just described was them. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, awesome. Yeah, that was good stuff. Uh, I'm very thankful for Will for coming on and sharing his time, his knowledge, his experience, and stories with us. You know, that's that's cool stuff, man. Yep. Very good. Well, do you have a favor of the week for us? Favor of the week this week is going to be time is running low before turkey season. If you have not done anything at all to help wild turkeys before you hunt them, favor of the week is go do something. Whether that is remove one invasive tree off the property or trap one raccoon whatever it may be do something to help turkeys before you go hunt them that's my favorite of the week excellent All you right. want to wrap this up yeah man thank you guys so much for tuning in this week we know that you have choices we appreciate you spending your time with us we hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week goodbye goodbye thanks for tuning in You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Hunting Afternoon Birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.